Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. So go to Romans 8 and go to verse 18, and we will allow more, a lot more time for, for questions and so on. Um, and we look at this thing in terms of suffering and creation. Now, I just picked up this paper. I always love doing this kind of stuff. and I lo- this, is, this is a great paper. Country news. I just love it. I thought, I'll bet you it's about tractors and the weather and biosecurity. And right enough, I've got three articles at least on each, you know, and uh, it's... But, you know, when you're... You live in, in, in this country. You're a farmer. Now, farmers here, in my view, I'm, I'm from a farming background, you're, you, you either hit gold, it's, it's feast or famine, bottom line. You know, you, you could, your whole farm, you, you, have to, you have to do the Joseph thing, you know, seven years plenty, seven years want. Because you could have years of drought, as some have had. You can have bushfires, you can have all of that. But my goodness, when it works, it works. You know, there's some very fertile land. And what a great place to, to breed cattle as well for, in many areas in Australia. But we struggle with our environment. I saw an advert for an insurance company, just crazy. I mean, honestly, our corporations have gone crazy, saying, you, you need our insurance until we get the climate sorted. I'm going, you're never going to... Do you seriously think an insurance company or any group of politicians is going to control the climate? You're not. You know, whatever you think about man-made climate change, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about this idea that there's this ideal world just around the corner. No, this is what the Bible says. So for me, this is how I would put this in terms of what the Bible says about the creation. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Which, by the way, is of enormous practical consequence if you're the mother who's just lost her son. But that suffering's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I think this is astonishing in so, so, so many ways. Um, The suffering and the glory are contrasted here. Um, He considers this, by the way. It's not just that he feels it. We, We have to think. We have to try and work things out. We have to contemplate things. But he also realizes on, on the basis of that what the gospel promises for the future. So with suffering, so I mentioned that the ask question. With suffering, everyone brings up the suffering question. And you know the, the basic, what's called uh, attack on God in this sense. If God is all-powerful, then he could stop suffering. If he's all-good, he'd want to do it. There is suffering, therefore God cannot be all-powerful and all-good. No. I'll tell you why that doesn't work. Because I, I, I say this to, to teenagers. I say, do you, would you like to live in a world where you experience no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no angst, nothing like that at all? Yeah. So 
if I was God, I could create that world for you. Do you would you want me to do it? And they say, yeah, of course. I'd say, well, in that case, I'm going to create you as a chair. Because the chair you're sitting on right now has no pain, it has no suffering, it has no angst, it's not going, oh, I wish I was a couch, why am I not a couch? You know, it's not worried about the weather, it's not worried about climate, you know, your chair is, that's your, your chair, it doesn't have those feelings, it doesn't have those thoughts. I would say animals, I'm sorry, I, I was to say I grew up on a farm, I've never seen cows have a prayer meeting, you know, and, and, and sheep, the thickest of all animals. You know, they, they don't even, they don't think about nothing. They just follow, you know, sheep are not like Disney have it cute and cuddly. They're honestly, they're smelly and dirty and, and, and stupid. Pigs, on the other hand, are mega intelligent. Um, you know, but even pigs don't have philosophical discussions about the meaning of life. They don't think what their purpose is. They just do it. Human beings, we have morality. We have love. We have a consciousness. We think about other things. That's the mistake in treating humans just like animals. We are animals, but we're more than animals. And part of that is this, that the question of suffering ultimately points to and leads to God's glory. Now, I have taken years and years and years and years wrestling through this with people. Because when you're, this is the advantage of being a pastor amongst normal people as opposed to somebody who's just reading it in a book. When you buried the 18-month-old child in a cot death. You buried the drug addict who's died of hep C. The beautiful 21-year-old, mega intelligent, rich, everything to live for, who committed suicide. The woman who wonders why three of her children died. You know, you... You can dismiss suffering with a cliche. But you see, here's the thing. The fact is that suffering's always going to be there. What are we going to do about it and what has God done about it? So I did a debate at the University of Cambridge. And it was a debate we were guaranteed to lose because the motion was dreadful. This house can prove that there is a God or something. And as a very clever person on my side, John Polkinghorne and the chairman of the Atheist Society on the other side, and at one point he stood up and he said this. He said, Dachau, which was one of the concentration camps like Auschwitz, Dachau is wrong, is not a fact. And I, I had three interruptions and I said, excuse me, I'm going to take one of my interruptions. He said, I thought you would. He said, I think Dachau was wrong, but I can't prove it. Like gravity is a fact. I can prove that, but I can't prove that Dachau was wrong. And I just looked at him, I was utterly astounded. I said, you're seriously arguing that? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I, I, in, a, in a way I can understand you. It's because you're godless. And he, he looked at me and he went, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I said, because you don't believe in God, you, you ultimately come to the conclusion everything is material and evil is just a social construct and therefore you can't prove it. In fact, you end up calling evil good. And he said, well, are you saying that because you, he said, can you prove that it's wrong? And I said, yes, I can. And he said, well, how, he said, is that, that's just because you believe in God, isn't it? And I said, no, it's not. I said, I believe in God because of Auschwitz. And he said, whoa, where are you going with that one? And it was actually true for me. It's one of the reasons I became a Christian. And I said to him this, I know, and I said to everyone there, I have a seven-year-old daughter at that point. 
If, if you rape and kill my daughter, I know that's wrong. Everyone here knows that's wrong. It's not, we just, we feel it's wrong. It's not we've been indoctrinated to think it's wrong. We know it's wrong. And so there are lots of things we know that are wrong. So my question then is not, is it wrong? But how do we know it's wrong? And I keep asking, how, 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 how? And ultimately, I get back to God. So you are right. If there is no God, why not go out and kill? No one's to say it's wrong. Whereas if there is a God, there is an absolute morality and an absolute standard. And what that means is this in terms of the suffering. That we have to look at the bigger picture and realize that what we see in this life is a tiny bit, a thread of a tapestry, or if you want to use a more modern illustration, it's a pixel in a megapixel painting. And suffering is real, but what's been done about suffering? And this goes on to talk about the suffering, you see. The suffering and the glory here are, are contrasted. Now, from a Christian point of view, 2 Corinthians 4.16, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, and what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul talks about two weights. Sorry, I need to put this out a bit. The other, one is light and momentary. The other is eternal and far outweighs them all. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here is a word called kabod. And I love this as a kind of wannabe hippie at some point in my life. Because kabod just means heavy. And what Paul is going, man, this is heavy, man. Heavy, heavy stuff, man. And and it is. It's heavy stuff. I remember going into a a kind of hippie commune type thing. Well, it was a house where a lot of hippies lived. And, you know, and just talking to them, they're going... Oh, it's awesome, man. Awesome. I mean, they always have to speak with American accents, even if they're Scottish. Oh, awesome, man. That was, that was heavy, man. Heavy. Well, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this is heavy. But you need to understand that even the most extreme suffering you go through is, is light compared with the glory. Now, I'll use an illustration here for which all the women, especially those who are mothers, need to forgive me. I have used this illustration before, and the first time I used it in my own congregation, I nearly got lynched. So, um, because I compared the pain of childbirth with the pain of man flu, and this did not go down well because women clearly do not understand the pain of man flu. Um, but I, uh, childbirth, I understand it's very painful. I mean, I was a modern man. I was there at my the birth of my three kids. I can't stand blood. You'd think that's strange since I used to calf cows, but this is different. And I just, oh, I was just, and I could not believe. And my wife gave birth very quickly. She, too much information here, but she has very good childbearing hips. So she, she popped them out pretty quick uh, uh, in one case before they even got to hospital. So, um, but it was still, I could tell it was pretty painful, you know, and me going, it's going to be all right. Don't worry. Probably wasn't going to cut it. You know, she needed the drugs. Um, But the joy of that afterwards, that's extraordinary. I mean, okay, I didn't go through the pain. Well, I did. I, I, you know, went along with it vicariously. Um, But when my son was born, three o'clock in the morning, I'm walking along our village. And being a village, everyone knows everyone. But three o'clock in the morning, I couldn't believe it. I I was, I honestly, I've never had this feeling before. I felt like I was floating. 
I just got, I got a son. I got a son. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I just, and I wanted to wake up and shout at everyone, but it's a village. You didn't need to. They knew already. Somebody phoned and passed it around even at that time in the morning. In a village, I don't know if Shepperton's like this, but what they don't know about you, they'll just make up about you. Um, but you just have that joy that you have. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's, he's not saying, hey, look, do the Buddhist thing, suck it up and see. That's just the way it is. And that's the atheist thing, by the way. Dawkins says some people get lucky. Some people don't. Stuff just happens. And the Christian says, no, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Everything has a purpose and a meaning. We may not know what that is. And he opens it with this enormous picture of the creation. The creation subjected to frustration. And it waits in eager expectation. Now, we live in an extraordinarily beautiful world. And we live in a world that's full of pain and suffering. So, I'm driving out to the Blue Mountains after we first came here in 2019. And in West Sydney, I could not believe how brown it was and dry it was. We're in the midst of drought. And then I heard someone on the ABC say, we're not going to have rain in New South Wales for another four years. And I thought, okay, it's coming next week. And, and, and it did. And it came and it chucked it down. The next time I drove out the Blue Mountains, just a, a week and a half later, everything was green. I thought, this is incredible. And my, my son-in-law who worked with Sydney Water, when I said about the fire being a terrible thing, he said, no, no. He said, bushfires are great if they're managed. And I said, what do you mean? He said, David, there are all these plants and stuff that need the heat for their seeds to pop. And you look, look at all the debris that's lying there. You're going to go and clear it all? The bushfire clears it, renews everything. He said, no, no. He said, this is great. But we still can't deny that the world is not perfect. And there's a lot of trouble and a lot of difficulty. And Paul explains it this way. The creation is subject to frustration. The creation is not as, as it should be. I mean, I love the beauty of what I see, but I love C.S. Lewis's description of this is just the Shadowlands. So I'm, I mean, I'm not biased at all, but I think Scotland is the most beautiful country in the world. Australia comes a close 44th, but <laughs> no, Australia is a, 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 you know, a gorgeous country as well, a gorgeous, gorgeous places, but we think this is the reality and heaven's not the reality. I don't agree. I think Tim Keller now is experiencing a far greater reality than any of us are. But we've just reversed that in our thinking. And Paul says the creation's waiting. The creation is looking forward. So this, this newspaper about what the farmers are going to do to improve the land and so on. say, Well, that's great and it's wonderful and that's what farmers should do. But at the end of the day, the ultimate renewal is not going to come from better machines or better fertilizer or whatever. It's, just, it's, it's coming from the new heavens and the new earth. He used the word... Um, frustrated and it's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes and by the way I think Ecclesiastes is the best book to preach the gospel to postmodern young people today I really do I love Ecclesiastes um, we had a, a girl who was a drug addict she came and she asked about um, sorry I don't know if I'm popping this um, and she asked about can you give me a book to read so I used to have these separate books I think there's a great thing to have by the way if you can get separate books of the Bible and I got uh, Ecclesiastes. I gave her a copy of Ecclesiastes. And she came back the next week and she went, Man, 
That was awesome. That was awesome. That was like Kurt Cobain on speed, which I just thought was a great description. If I ever write a commentary on Ecclesiastes, that's what I'm going to call it. Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, for those of you who don't know, who like most great rock stars committed suicide and all that kind of stuff, especially the ones that drugs junkies admire, and she really admired him. She said, look, she said, what's the point of living? What's the point of riches? We all die. We all go, you know, what's the, everything's useless. She says, I can't believe that's in the Bible. I said, it is in the Bible, but you're missing something. What's that? I said, the phrase under the sun, I think it appears 13 times. And it means without God, under the sun, everything is meaningless. And if you want to take um, another French philosopher or all the existentialists, Jean-Paul Sartre, for example, was asked, do you live according to philosophy? He said, no, I couldn't. I'd have to commit suicide. Well, that's why suicide is the number one cause of death for young men in this country. Because you reach a point where you think, what is the point? What is the point? But this frustration that the creation has, it's a word that carries this idea of futility and purposeless and emptiness and transitory. And I think one of the big things in terms of reaching people, I'm pretty sure Shepparton will be like this. My small village of 2,000 in the Highlands and my city of 150,000, which was the drugs death capital of, of Europe, if not the world, the number of people who took drugs. Why did they take drugs? Well, it's not rocket science. You take drugs because it feels good. And for a moment, it gives you a temporary high and it helps you cope with things and it gives you pleasure. In your head, you know it's not going to work, but it doesn't matter because you just need it. And that's what they do. And I think one of the great things you have as a church is to go to people who are hopeless and empty and say, we've got some hope for you. We really do. I think sometimes we make a mistake when we evangelize people. We think we're going to evangelize certain groups. Never target people. Please don't target people. Just go for everyone. But I will tell you this. You are more likely to get a receptive hearing from people who know that they're sinners than you are in trying to have to convince people that they're, they're, they are sinners or that they need God or they can get better coffee in our church than they get in their coffee shop or better music or whatever it is. But there's a frustration what was the point of Mozart dying at 35 years? He could have achieved so much more. I've already seen on the Tim Keller stuff, people, Christians writing, he died at 72, he could have achieved so much more. Don't you understand what the Bible says? God knows precisely the number of days ordained to us before one of them came to be. This doesn't take God by surprise. I was in a church called, a guy called Robert Murray McShane. I'd be so impressed if you knew who he was. Um, more famous now for his Bible reading plan, but... He died at age 29. A 29-year-old dying. Minister in the midst of a revival. That doesn't make any sense. But it does when you understand in, in Bob Dylan's beautiful song, Every Grain of Sand, probably the best Christian secular song I've ever heard. You know, he talks about in the shadow of the moment, I, I see the master's hand in every drop that's falling, in every grain of sand, I see the master's hand in absolutely everything. Now, this is where we have this hope that we give to people. A hundred years ago, the mathematician and philosopher Burton Russell used the second law of thermodynamics to attack belief in God. Um, 
Now, what does that law state? It is a law that the universe is dying. People are going to say, we're going to save the planet. No, you're not. It's going to die. I'm sorry. We're going to die. I mean, isn't it strange? In my lifetime, I've gone from the people who were standing on the street corners yelling out the end of the world is nigh, being somewhat eccentric but well-meaning Christians, to it's now the, the green religion. I mean, I go outside Sydney Cathedral, and there are people, young people who really believe that the planet's going to be gone in 12 years. And they're absolutely terrified. The second law of dynamics says that. Russell reflected on the vast death of the solar system that will follow when the sun burns out in several billion years' time. He said this. Now, this is good old cheery atheism. If you think Scottish Calvinism is miserable, you should try this stuff. Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark. Blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. And Russell went on to say, we must then build our lives on a foundation of unyielding despair. We are a blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another. In Canada just now, almost 50% of millennials believe that euthanasia should be offered to the poor. That's an extraordinary statistic. Why? Because they've been brought up thinking, well, your life doesn't really matter. I learned a very important lesson when I went to work for something that was very politically incorrectly called the Scottish Spastics Council. I think it's now called Capability Scotland. But... Um, I went down to do a, a Wednesday evening, weekly Wednesday evening thing with them. And I honestly went in as a typical Christian thinking, I'm going to go and help these poor handicapped people. And there was a guy called Jojo. And he could fit on this. And he was 23 years old. He was all shriveled up, had to be carried everywhere, couldn't move arms or legs, could only communicate through, uh, he could point with a finger, but he could communicate with what's called a bliss board. And I just thought, oh, poor Jojo, I'm going to, you know, and after a, a night of being with Jojo, I, uh, I went home and I was really, really upset. And I was really upset at me because Jojo was absolutely brilliant. And he said to me, for example, at the Bliss Board, he said, I had a, a great time the other night. I said, what were you at home? He said, no. Um, uh, and he pointed at something and I said, oh, was that someone? So he said, no, you idiot. He pointed, God's house. I was at God's house. I was in church. And I just thought, do you know, Jojo, I've looked upon you as just a lump of material. But a human being made in the image of God. And the guy who's lying in his own urine outside the pub when you walk past, he's not scum of the earth. He's made in the image of God. And the elderly woman who, when you go to her door, as one guy, I remember one of our guys knocked on the door, he came back and said, we were doing door-to-door work. He said, oh, I had a terrible time. I said, why? He said, well, this elderly woman invited me in and she spent the whole afternoon talking to me. And I said, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We didn't appoint you to go out and knock on 50 doors and get your credit. I said, that's the best thing that could have happened to you. You had a great time with that woman because people are people. And, you know, there's just this idea of liberation that occurs. Chrysostom says this, you can see how God has provided for us on either hand, leading us by the beauty of the elements to the knowledge of his divinity and by their feebleness, not permitting us to lapse into the worship of them. We don't worship the creation. 
we worship the creator, but what we see in, in the creation tells us about the beauty of God and the power of God and the glory of God. And what we see in the frustration is there's a better world yet to come. There is a better world yet to come. That's so important. The creation will be liberated. Look what it says. It'll be liberated from its bondage to decay. The earth is decaying. Nature is enslaved. It is in bondage. Conception, birth, and growth are always followed by decline, decay, death, and decomposition. Your kids are lovely, but they were born. They're going to die. That's a horrible thing for a parent to think. When I was lying in hospital, they thought I was dying. And my mother, my mother never cries. And they said that... Uh, she came out after seeing me and she couldn't stop crying. Why? Because as she put it, you don't expect to bury your own children. But that's the world that we live in. But it's not. Because God has sent Christ. And Paul in Colossians talks about this gospel has been proclaimed to every creature. The gospel is good news. We sometimes have it as this, like, this is our club, it's the church, and we'll go out and tell people something to try and get them into that club, whereas the reality should be, we should be going to everyone in Shepparton and saying, we've got good news for you. This is not the way it's always going to be. And, and here's the thing, you have no responsibility whatsoever to convert anyone, because you can't. But you have every responsibility to make sure that people hear. Every responsibility. That should be your concern. And, and that they hear in a way that fits in with their um, culture and context and understanding. See, I will create, Isaiah 65:17, new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So there's so much stuff in all of this. And verses 23 and 25 talk about the suffering and glory of God's children. We are part of that creation. As the creation groans, so do we. There is a suffering of emptiness because God is not there and is deemed irrelevant. There's a sense of futility and despair. That emptiness is seen in so much art, music, and literature. You ever thought about that? There's a wonderful book by Ruckmacher called Modern Art and the Death of a Culture. I actually quite like modern art. And so did Ruckmacher, by the way. But he points out how it became meaningless. You know, there's extraordinary beauty in art. I went to the Metropolitan uh, Art Gallery in New York, and it's, they, they arrange it according to centuries. And it was so incredible. The 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. You couldn't move for people wanting to see the paintings. You go to the 20th century, you could have played five-a-side football. Why? Because it's so meaningless. Sydney Art Gallery, I mean, it's, again, I, I find the institutions in Australia and the march of the institutions have been taken over. And the likes of the Opera House, I, they're, they're, they're woke beyond belief. And I keep saying to them, will you please stop doing it? I just want to hear opera. You know, I don't want to hear another thing about indigenous or uh, feminism or transgender, which is the thing they're on at the moment. Or the art gallery. I went to the, I mean, this is, these, are, these are meant to be intelligent people who've got degrees. As my mum would just simply say, who hasn't got a degree of any kind, she says, oh, they're no wise. They're no wise. I went in, there's a painting in Sydney Art Gallery. It's just black. And underneath, there's a sign that says, the artist painted here, and then he painted over it with black, because, and then it tries to explain it with a bunch of waffle about, you know, the covering. And I go, you paid quarter of a million dollars. For something, I used to say, my youngest daughter, we would always say, oh, Emma Jane could do that. She'd never like that because it was seen as the lowest standard. But who, 
pays quarter of a million dollars for someone putting black. Just black. Nothing else. It's no wonder that AI is going to take over the culture because the culture is so brain dead and creatively non-sensitive. But Christians come in and we say, whoa, no, wait a minute. We suffer. We, we experience frustration. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan. We long for adoption. We long for the redemption of our bodies. And we have hope. I became a Christian when I was 17. Three of my friends became Christians, including one of them who had muscular dystrophy. He was dying. He told he had a year to live. We took him in a wheelchair everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere. We stayed in a treehouse once. We took him. We just carried him everywhere. I remember, i never forget this. One time he looked at us and he said, he actually lived for three years, but he said, please don't feel sorry for me. I know I'm dying. You're dying too, but you don't know it. You don't think you're going to die. And then he said this, and when I die... This is gone. I'm out of this wheelchair. So he says, mourn for yourselves, but not for me. Please don't cry for me. You know, there's a wonderful hope that we have. Jehovah's Witness came to the door. Well, when they used to come to the door, they don't do that now. They just stand at railway stations. Do they? Do you have, do you have any JWs standing at railway stations? You know, anyway, this Jehovah's Witness came to the door. Do you believe that God is good? And I said, yeah, yeah, got plenty of evidence, actually, in that sense. So, well, what makes you say that God is good? And I said, well, it's not found in your magazine, which you're trying to sell me, but it's found in the Bible, in the Word of God. Jehovah's Witnesses are funny, by the way. So I shouldn't, you shouldn't wind people up. But I did door-to-door one time. I knocked at a door, and this woman came to the door. She said, we're from the local church. If you're interested in God, she said, no, 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 we're, I'm, I'm, uh, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. And I held up my Bible and went, revenge. <laughs> and she slammed the door. And we just thought, oh, well, okay. It's true what they say. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have a sense of humor. Um, but that my, my, my absolute favorite was the Mormons, actually. There's an old lady on this Scottish island, the island of Lewis, which is very, a lot of Christians there, and this old godly lady. These two Mormons came to the door and they said, do you think we're living in the end times? And she went, oh, yes, indeed we are. Indeed we are. They said, oh, that's good. Now, uh, why do you think that? Because you're at my door. (laughs) And the Bible says in the last days there will be many false prophets. And I thought, yes, that's my woman. That's that's an educated Christian. You know, good for her. Um, Look, we have hope. Now, what that means, it doesn't mean we have hope, so we just say, oh, we're going to float around chilled and happy, you know. No, no, no. Because we've got hope, we care for the creation. We dig our gardens, look after our crops. We have hope. We care for our bodies. You know, we don't say, oh, it's just all going to burn anyway. I'm just going to die. Who cares? No, no, no. We care. And we are involved in the world. At the end of the first three centuries, does this sound familiar? My degree was basically church history. There was a tendency to despair as sexual immorality, paganism, and other factors threatened to overwhelm the church. It sounds very familiar. Many had negative views of their own bodies. What do you think is driving the transgender stuff? Hatred of humanity. Not for the poor kids who have to go through it, but they're being taught to hate their own bodies. There were many attempts to withdraw from society. But the Reformation, I think, ultimately changed all of that. And I would say this. Because we have hope, it means that we can be more involved than ever. Uh, I like this description. Somebody said that Christianity is just pie in the sky when you die. And one wag quipped, no, it's not. It's steak on your plate while you wait. 
well, not being vegan, I'm very appreciative of that one. And I think that's one of the things that we want to communicate to people who are hopeless, that we have real hope, but it's a hope that's expressed in our life now, but is not dependent on our life now. That's the key in all of that. And if people sense that in the church, so I was mentioning your praise band at the beginning, your praise band's useless if it's just singing nice songs. But when your praise band are leading people responding to God's mercy and singing about the love of God, it is the most astonishing thing. I, I said it was a long drive down here, so I was listening to this Hillsong, um, this podcast about Hillsong. It was so, so, so depressing, including some of the worship leaders who are now saying they don't believe in God or whatever. And I wondered if they ever did, because what everything for them was about the music and this feeling of connectedness and the things that we had. And I thought, n- none of you have mentioned Jesus once. It's only because of Jesus that we can have all this. And if people see that, I think it makes evangelism a lot easier. So I, I always say to people, I say, you know, if you're, if you're green and an environmentalist, come to church and learn how to care for the planet. I basically don't think there's one group that you can't say to people, why don't you come? and learn about something that is the answer to the problem that you're raising, including all the trans stuff and everything else. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there because I want you to have an opportunity if you want to ask any questions before lunch. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.